is Jerry DiPiano, and you are listening to the Love Mia Vita podcast. My guest today is Daylene Fallon, CEO of Vital Femme and a holistic nutritionist. Daylene is going to share some of her wisdom on the impact of diet and nutrition on, on depression. Daylene, Welcome to the Love Mia Vita podcast. Once again, Daylene has been our guest on another podcast, but for those of you that weren't able to listen in, perhaps Daylene, you could share some of your background with our listeners. Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. I'm always happy to talk to you, but um, this is a really exciting um, topic for me because as you said, I am a nutritionist. And I like to say that I'm on a mission to make menopause cool. So I really focus on women in the second half of their lives and try to help them understand how to look at their lives holistically and make very simple lifestyle shifts so that everything just opens up, the possibilities open up and you feel great and look great and on top of the world, because we have a lot of power at this point in our lives. Absolutely. I always say that the, re the menopause revolution, and it starts when we, we hit that transition in our, could be in our late 30s, but 40s, sure. 60s is more prevalent with most women entering uh, menopause, full menopause, or the transition to menopause, and uh, probably around the age of 51 years. But certainly for those uh, that, that are listening in, that are in chemical menopause, you may benefit from the same wisdom because let's face it, you're going to be experiencing some of the same symptoms that you would if you entered a natural menopause. One of the things about depression that um, individuals may not realize is that depression disproportionately affects women and that, mm -hmm. it, that includes women of all ages. In fact, I believe the statistics show that about 66% of women experience major depressive disorder, which again is a, a serious issue for women, but it can be, you can ameliorate the symptoms of depression. We also know that during menopause, because of the hormonal shifts and declining levels of estrogen, that women also may exacerbate depressive symptoms or they may start to show up differently. And unfortunately, sometimes we think that prescription pharmaceuticals are the only way in which to address major depressive disorder. I've worked in the pharma prescription pharmaceutical industry and still do in another business from Pharma Global Healthcare. Uh, and so I'm a big believer that we've done wonderful things um, with drug therapy. However, that's not always the best strategy. We know that cognitive behavioral therapy works. We also understand that there are more natural ways to amplify the effects of the cognitive behavioral therapy and also the combination of prescription pharmaceuticals. By the way, anything that we share with you on this podcast is not meant to replace the wonderful advice that you are going to receive from your healthcare practitioner. And if you are someone that believes you are struggling with depression, we strongly encourage you to seek counseling from a professional. 
So again, this is not to replace any advice that you're going to receive from a healthcare practitioner, someone that you see regularly or someone that you may want to consider seeing regularly that is an expert in psychology or psychiatry. But today we're gonna to focus on nutrition and depression and ways in which you can look at your diet and make some decisions about how you can change your diet to change your mood. So with that, Daylene, what is the link between nutrition and depression? Well, first of all, everything that you said. Um, and what I would add is that with all those statistics, I mean, there's a lot of statistics, statistics out there and anyone can look them up. But I think one thing that's really important to recognize is that while there's this great number or proportion of women in general that suffer from some form of depression or anxiety, it's actually when they're in that age range of 45 to 64, it's actually even a greater proportion of women that suffer from these. And you know, the kind of the official, at least by the CDC definition of depression is characterized by the presence of feelings of sadness, emptiness, irritability, accompanied by bodily and cognitive changes lasting two weeks or more. Well, what else does that sound like to you? And I think that's an important thing to think about that um, a lot of these feelings that disproportionately affect women kind of in that midlife stage, it sounds a lot like the other things that we're dealing with that, that you brought up. And it may be menopause, it may just be midlife, right? Like we're aging, but there's um, the timing coincides. And I think that the women that are most affected by depression in midlife might also be the same women that struggle more with some of these other things like the menopause transition because everything's connected. And I bang that drum all the time, but it is, it's all connected. Um, one thing that I, I think it's important to think about is that our health outcomes are largely predictable based on our inputs. And there's all kinds of inputs, right? There's, um, there's food, the, what we put in our mouth that we're gonna talk about a lot today, but it's also how you move, um, your environment, um, the air you breathe, the water you drink, who you talk to, your relationships, what you think about, all of these inputs taken together are what create the state of health or disease that you're in right now. And these things have a cumulative effect. So, you know, the choices that you made or the situations or circumstances that you found yourself in two weeks ago or a year ago or 10 years ago, all that builds up. And that is what creates your state of health. But, oh, go ahead. Absolutely. You know, we began um, having this conversation before we started the uh, podcast recording and you and I were chatting about being part of this sandwich generation. And most of the women and possibly men who are listening to this podcast are also in a similar situation 
we talked about um, the fact that at one point um, I was moving, uh, helping my mom transition from the family home into independent living and then going through the process of watching her die. And you mentioned the same type of situation. Thankfully, your mom is, is thriving, but that also impacts us. So we're at that phase of life where we are observing changes in our parents who may mm -hmm. be aging. If we have children, we may be observing that they are maturing. Maybe they're at a difficult point, maybe the crazy teenage years, or possibly we're becoming empty nesters. And that, thro that throws a different curveball at us because now they're leaving the nest. And with that comes worry. So do we ruminate over that? Are we feeling that our life is out of control because we have on the one hand aging parents and on the other, we have our children who are no longer our children. They are adults who are leaving us and moving on with our lives. And that produces a different level of stress. And those things that you mentioned, those things affect the relationships that we have, right? So your relationships change, whether it's your friendships, whether it's your you know, your spouse or partner, um, your career is changing around the same time too. All of this matters and it all makes a difference. But diet is one of those inputs that we can most easily affect very quickly. And I think that's probably one of the reasons that you wanted to talk about it. Um, and it's why it's probably my favorite <laughs> subject because it's, it's so easy for us to do, or I shouldn't say easy, it, it's simple. Um, we are completely in control of what we eat. So that seems like a great place to start to try to make changes. And you know, there's, there's a whole field of inquiry out there in the medical literature called nutritional psychiatry. And that, that talks about how food and supplements as well, affect our moods in general, but also specific psychiatric problems, everything from depression and anxiety to things like OCD or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease. I mean, there are, there are well-established connections between our nutrition and the way our brain works. So that, I think that's a great place to start. Absolutely. We, we know that some of us, when we think about our moods, we think about how do, how, do you, how do you deal with changes in your mood? Some of us may eat for comfort, right? We see those comfort foods that, you know, I, I'm reminiscing to the days when I was in college and my roommates would buy all these carbohydrates cookies and candies and processed lots of sugar and they wanted to eat ice cream by the gallon and it was all in an effort to boost their serotonin levels because they were depressed because of exams or the stress of finals and and all of the work that accompanied that and then there were some of us like me and i've shared this before who suffer from anorexia and so what i would do is when i was depressed or stressed I would restrict food. Why? Because it was the only sense of control that I had. And whether you are the person that seeks food for comfort and that may feel good to you because your moods are elevated and it boosts for a temp temporarily boosts your serotonin levels, 
or whether you're someone like me who feels the need to have control and the only control that you can have is to restrict food. So you, your appetite really is non-existent. This is, um, this is something that we see all the time and it turns into really unhealthy habits. I know mine did. Fortunately, yeah. I've worked my way through that and I'm living a more healthy lifestyle, but for a period of my life, it wasn't. And I concluded that it was because of stress and anxiety. Sure. And it's two sides of the same coin because, you know, the example that you gave about your roommates with all of the sugar and the, the highly processed foods, you know, it's a trick because it does make you feel better in the short term. Absolutely. You know, it gives you kind of this rush and you feel good, but it's, it's physically addictive. And so you can never get enough. Um, it, and I think really what we need to do is recognize that the way that we're feeding our body, um, it does have an effect on how we feel physically and mentally, but it's all about making these conscious choices. And, um, but yeah, you can get into sort of this, you can get into this downward spiral where you do a thing, it feels good, and then you don't feel good anymore. And the only thing you can do is think, well, maybe I should just have some more M&Ms, or as my husband calls them, power pellets. You know, I don't know that that's really the answer, but um, it, it tricks you, you know, it can be very hard to get to break out of that cycle. Um, but it sounds like you did and congratulations. That's hard to do. It's very, it's very hard. And for anyone that's listening in that may be struggling with an eating disorder, these are really serious illnesses and they have dire consequences. I believe I'm one of the lucky ones. I had a very uh, dear friend. Uh, I was during my career, not uh, during uh, my younger years, but during my career, I knew a young woman who I worked with who suffered from anorexia nervosa and she ended up having so many bouts that she was uh, she was diagnosed with cardiomyopathy. So it really destroyed her heart. And um, she left us at the age of thirty-two. Oh wow! It does have it can have dire consequences. Again, if you are listening in and you feel that you are struggling with an eating disorder, uh, I hope that you will take this recommendation. Please find a good counselor that can help you to work through some of the issues that may be impacting you and contribute to the eating disorder. There is hope. Absolutely. And there's no shame in getting help. Like we need to rely on each other. That's, that's part of it. And you know, one thing that um, you bring up um, calorie restriction and anorexia, but what if it goes the other way? And what if you're, you can't break out of this? And then um, I just read this study. Um, it was just published in November of last year, and it's called The Menace of Obesity to Depression and Anxiety Prevalence. The menace, <laughs> like it goes the other way too. Um, we can go too far in other, in, in either direction. And so 
I don't want to scare people and think, oh my God, I have to just be walk on this narrow line. It's not like that. But just know that, you know, there's a range and healthy eating, which keeps us healthy in a lot of other ways too. Um, it's in the middle. It's not one way or the other. It's not extreme. If you're doing something really extreme, it's probably too much. Absolutely. We always talk about moderation and moderation in diet is really key. So when we think about what we can do, there is a lot that that we can do thinking about our diets, thinking about what are what are the natural components of some of the foods that we eat that can also help to stabilize our moods. Again, they're not going to replace a prescription medication if that's what your uh, practitioner recommends, but they certainly can augment the um, the CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy and or the prescription meds. And they come from food. They come from the foods that we eat. And so we could let's talk about what those what those are. So what are the natural components of food that that in that help to elevate our mood naturally? Well, I think what I'd like to do is kind of is just start by saying that in terms of diets, if you will, or ways of eating, it's pretty well established that a plant-forward diet that emphasizes vegetables, fruits, legumes, whole grains, and nuts is really the best insurance against cognitive disorders and health in general, helping you to prevent chronic diseases, especially the types of chronic diseases that tend to pop up as we get a little bit older. Um, you know, there are people that argue for a Mediterranean diet that adds in lots of olive oil and cold water fish. And then there are those that would argue for um, following a very strict low fat vegan diet. And then there are all kinds of iterations in between. But I think that if you look at these ways of eating side by side, you can see that what's missing is exactly the same. It's sugar, it's um, highly refined grains, and it's animal products, including dairy. So when you remove those things, I think your body kind of tells you if you need or want a little bit more fat, um, a little more, you know, some fish once in a while, or if strictly plants is the way to go. And, and there's room for experimentation because everybody is different and everybody's body needs a little bit of something different. And let, look, let's be honest, different things taste good to different people. So um, I think that we have to be gentle on ourselves. And if, so my downfall, I am, I'm going to own it is cake. I love cake. <laughs> so, um, and sure, I, I like vegan cake. But I'll tell you what, there's this place here that makes the best yellow cake with chocolate frosting you've ever had in your life. And sometimes I just want that and I make allowances so that I can eat it. I just, I know what it's going to do to my body and I, and my mind, because it makes me feel a certain way and I make allowances for it. Um, but let, let's talk instead of the things not to do, um, let's talk in the 
in the positive. And when it comes to specific nutrients that you want to get more of when you're thinking about your health in general, but mood specifically, um, folate. It's a B vitamin that is most plentiful in beans and greens. And a lack of it has been shown in tons of studies to increase risk of severe depression by about three times. Um, and another fun fact about folate is that multiple studies have shown that it actually reduces both the duration and severity of hot flashes, which is always a good time, a good thing because hot flashes used to make me really moody. So, so there's that. Folate is great. Um, Omega-3s. We hear a lot about omega-3s. Um, I, I found this great meta-analysis that it, the studies, there were 26 component studies and it covered about, I think, half a million or more people. And that showed conclusively that higher levels of DHA and EPA in the bloodstream indicated about a 50% lower incidence of depression. Um, and actually the range was quite wide. It was something like 30% to 70%, depending on which of those component studies you wanted to cite, but let's just split the difference and call it 50%. I mean, hey, that's, that's pretty great. And by the way, it was this, um, the lower incidence of depression was both within a couple weeks and years later during follow-up. So I think that is kind of exciting to think about. Um, probiotics. It's well established that there's this gut-brain connection in our bodies. There's a lot of talk about it right now. And there have been numerous studies recently talking about probiotics and specifically the lactobacillus strains that taking these probiotics reduces depression, but also other cognitive disorders. Again, like schizophrenia, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. Like there's been some really exciting research in that area. Um, you know, one question that comes up when you see studies like this about specific um, nutrients or phytochemicals, it's what comes first. There's this debate, well, is it really that whatever these specific nutrients are, that it's those things that lower people's risk of depression? Or is that that the people that eat in this specific way that have a lot of these phytonutrients are just healthier in general and fitter in general, so they're happier? Um, Maybe, but I don't, I mean, I'm not sure it matters. Like, let's get all the good stuff in. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry, I jumped around a little bit, but then back to probiotics for a second. When, when we're thinking about issues with your gut, like um, irritable bowel disease or Crohn's disease, or just that regular old kind of bloated, constipated feeling, 
that can be really depressing. And by the way, it can have a terrible impact on your life, just your daily functioning. So I think it's absolutely worth it to give probiotics a try. And fiber is important for a lot of the same reasons. Um, you know, critically because it, what fiber does is it scrubs the bad stuff out of your system, including excess hormones. Um, and it's one of the reasons that high fiber has been linked to lower levels of depression, but it's easy to get more fiber. Fruits, vegetables, legumes. I actually am a huge proponent of ground flaxseed because that's a great way to get both your omegas and your fiber in one place. Just drop a couple tablespoons in my smoothie in the morning and it's a miracle food, if you ask me, it just, it doesn't get any easier. Um, we talk about simple tricks, that's actually a really simple trick. Yeah. So like if you wanted to have a smoothie and you threw some banana and some strawberries together with some flaxseed, you don't have to make this overly complicated. Eat some yeah. cut oatmeal, throw some, uh, some blueberries on there. So these are really, these are really simple tricks that you can use in your everyday life, salad for lunch, put a little uh, roasted broccoli on there, some sweet potato, some chicken, you'll get your tryptophan. Some nuts, nuts and seeds are amazing. I mean, there have been some, I, I found this study, it was so interesting. Um, so magnesium and selenium are important for your brain health and your cognitive function. Um, and I found this great study talking about su uh, sunflower and pumpkin seeds in, specific, in, um, in particular that showed improvement in the markers for anxiety specifically within an hour of having one serving of sunflower seeds. Are you kidding me? Why wouldn't you just drop on some seeds and nuts? They're delicious. They have a lot of the stuff that we need. It's healthy fat. It gives you great energy. Um, Brazil nuts are actually the food that are that have the highest concentration of selenium out there. If you just eat one of those in a day, one a day, one nut a day, you get more than 100% of the RDA for selenium. So you mentioned oatmeal. Oatmeal also has a lot of selenium, mushrooms, rice, um, flaxseed also has selenium. So so put your grocery list together. Then time that you're heading out to the grocery store, you just heard it. So you want to Absolutely. put nuts. You want to get some grains. You want to make sure that your cart is loaded up with color. And it seems yeah. pretty simple and obvious, but it isn't always. Let's face it. We're running into the grocery store. We have a thousand other things on our minds. Maybe we're we've left work. We have to get home. There are children to feed or we need to feed ourselves. Maybe we have a lot of work going on at night, trying to finish things up from the day. And we leave with a cart that looks pretty white and brown and doesn't really include the colors that we're talking about. So think about color, think about the grains, think about what you're putting into your body. It's, you know, plan your, plan your grocery shopping if you don't. By Around the edges. Yes. Shop around the edge. You know, the produce, all the good stuff is on the perimeter. Don't go up and down the middle of 
the aisle. Don't go there if you can help it. I mean, I get it. You have to feed other people sometimes. I mean, I know my husband sometimes likes the stuff in the middle, <laughs> but really I try to just stay on the perimeter and then you can fill your cart up with everything you said, the color. Remember that um, PSA we used to hear, I don't know how long ago, eat the rainbow. That is so true because the most colorful fruits and vegetables are the ones that have the highest concentration of the different phytonutrients that we need. So just load it up. And try some different ones. So we look at the basics. So bananas, grapes, strawberries, look at some different types of fruits that might be interesting to you. You might get bored with the ones that you're, that you're currently eating. So try some different fruits that may have special benefits for you. Certainly the very dark fruits like the blueberries and some of the, the raspberries, the, those may be less interesting because they're not commonly purchased. At least they, you know, they are less commonly purchased, but perhaps those are some types of fruits that you want to consider. And obviously seasonal fruits are always wonderful. So look at different seasonal fruits. We look at some things like persimmons and uh, guava and papaya. Those are all interesting ways in which to change it up, if you will. And they also make for great smoothies. Throw some protein, some whey protein okay. or vegan protein. Make a nice little smoothie for yourself. It's a great treat. And those, fruit, those fruits and vegetables, like trying these different fruits, fruits and vegetables, it's not just what they can do for your brain health, but they all have other properties too. So you mentioned papaya. I love papaya because it has great anti-inflammatory effects. So people that are kind of struggling with some inflammatory issues, like when my joints get a little stiff, I have some papaya. Having one spoonful is probably not gonna make a difference long-term, but over time, the more that you start to shift a little bit, and let's not think about it about as taking things away. Let's think about it as adding things. And I think the more that we do this over time, all of these decisions are gonna add up and we are gonna feel so much better. So we have some recommendations from Daylene. So here's my takeaway, because I was taking notes. I'm always a good student <laughs> taking notes. So what I heard was processed foods, avoid them wherever possible, especially sugar, because it has a pro-inflammatory effect and we want to try to avoid that as much as possible. B-complex vitamins, very big deal. B-complex vitamins, because they contain high levels of folate, folate helps us with our brain health. Mood-boosting fats, mood-boosting fats, which have the omega-3s. That's super important. Sometimes you can get them from oily fish like mackerel and tuna and salmon. Try to eat those twice a week. They also contain vitamin D. So mm -hmm. vitamin D is important. Obviously, you're not going to get enough of, the, of vitamin D from fish. So if you can get out in the sun, get your 15 minutes, make sure you put on a sunscreen. Uh, protein, which can come from a variety of sources, fish, meat, eggs, beans, and lentils. I believe that's what I heard. And yeah, what else? And probiotics, probiotics. So probiotics, yep. 
to work on the gut brain connection and really to heal your gut. Because especially if you have eaten foods for the past 40 years or something that maybe are kind of messing with your tummy or your di your digestive system, taking some probiotics and then eating foods that are prebiotics, which feed the probiotics, things like potatoes. You mentioned sweet potatoes, those are great. Things like that, that'll kind of heal your gut and you're gonna notice a difference there. Um, and then and all the antioxidants. So vitamin C, make sure you're getting your vitamin C. But you see how all of this is really connected. You get all of these things from basically the same shopping cart. So, you know, load it up. And I think that if, if you can cut down on, um, if you can cut down on some animal products like the dairy, especially processed meats, if you can cut down on those things, you're gonna see a difference. It's super, it's super important to think about this when we go shopping and I believe that was the you know one of the big points if you can be deliberate about putting together your shopping list almost as a prescription for yourself and for your health think about how to strategically form your shopping list with the all of the things that we discussed during this podcast today stay around the perimeter and I guess the last point is and this is, it's okay to cheat occasionally. 100% cake. You have to, you have to have your indulgence. Mine is gelato. And of course, ah. you know, being, being a 100% Italian, I have to have my gelato. Now I don't do it every day, but I do allow myself my cheat day. And on my yep. cheat day, I love, love the tiramisu gelato. <laughs> it's way, so important to do that. Get it, you, can get it, you can get it at Wegmans if you have a Wegmans in your area, but that's my my indulgence. And and it's okay. It really is. We we can have that cheat day. Yeah. If you have five cheat days, then it's not okay. <laughs> Moderation, right? Yes. First. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things we didn't mention, I do want to mention this before closing. I know that we we all love our glass of wine. Um, and sometimes a cocktail. I know that alcohol, while we may enjoy that first glass or maybe even our second glass, it's a depressant. So it doesn't love us back. Doesn't love us back. So moderation, 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 especially on alcohol consumption. Because it's mainlining sugar. That's all it is. It's mainlining sugar. And it's really, it's disrupting your endocrine system and it's making everything misfire. So um, yeah, it's a great point. And that can be a hard thing to let go of, but it's like everything else. You know, there are, your body kind of starts to crave these things, but once you can set them aside for even three or four days, then you don't crave them so much and you start to feel so much better that the benefits really outweigh any, any cons for giving it up. If you're a person that, that is journaling, I journal. So if you're a person that journals, include in your journal when you started the change in your diet and keep an eye on what happens from week to week and see if it has an impact on your mood. And if it does, keep doing it. And if it doesn't, maybe you need to reinvest in doing some different things 
And perhaps if you do feel that those symptoms are persistent and are not improving with some of these subtle changes that you may be making, please, please get help. And I want one last thing, Jerry, I don't, let's not forget how great it feels and what a chain, a mood booster it can be to get outside and take a quick walk around the block, jump on your bike, take a walk, get a little bit of sunshine. I mean, let's not underestimate what fresh air and sunshine can do for us. That sounds like so simple and like it can't possibly work, but it does. Absolutely. And even in the most severe weather of winter, if you can just get outside for a little bit, I live in the Northeast and even in the winter, I try to go out on my patio and stand for a few minutes. When I'm at my office, I try to walk outside just for a few minutes, even if it's brutally cold and snowy or rainy, just those few minutes getting away from your desk or from the interior of your home, just to look at the, the sky, watch the snowflakes come down or the rain or what have you. It's, it really does change your mood. So those subtle changes, they seem small, but they really do over time make a big difference in how you feel. With that, I wanna thank Daylene Fallon of Vital Femme. Please check out her website and you can also look for her to help with consulting if you'd like to learn more about holistic nutrition. So it's vitalfemme.com. This is Daylene Fallon with your host, Jerry DiPiano, and the Love Mia Vita podcast. Thanks, Daylene. We look forward to chatting again. Thank you. Be well.